quiz. And so right off the bat, say we're saved. What are we saved from? Sin. Sin. And God's wrath, which comes as a result of, of sin. What does uh, propitiation mean? That's the turning of the wrath away from us. Right, by means of Jesus' sacrifice. Right, it's a, it's a sacrifice that takes the wrath and, and takes God's wrath and turns it away from us. Yeah. We talk about uh, uh, the doctrines of grace, we, we put it into a floral arrangement <laughs> the tulip and so what do these things stand for total depravity total depravity unconditional unconditional All right. Give me one verse that you could use support for total depravity. Where do you find that? It's in Romans. That's Romans 3.23. Oh, is it none is righteous, no, not one? Yeah, and so that would be Romans 3, uh, 10 and following. So real interesting. So Romans 3, unconditional election. Give me a verse. We don't have to give a lot. But I, I haven't heard that one used for that before. But all that the Father all that the Father comes to me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And that's John six. Uh, I can't. I believe it's thirty six, but I'm not thirty six forty two, something like that. Um, you might remember, you might think along this line, uh, John 10. What's in John 10? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What about the goats? 
Nope, nope. Okay. Um, you could also use um, John 17, the uh, high priestly prayer of Jesus. But anyway, those are just a few. Irresistible grace. Now, someone said something um, a while ago. I think John 6 might work better here, right? All that the Father gives me, all the Father's given me, will come to me. Perseverance of the saints. Philippians 1 6, which is? Alright. I'm confident of this that uh, he who began a good work in you will carry on completion of Christ Jesus. Very good. Alright. End of the pop quiz for this, this afternoon. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, we, we, we'll, uh, do pop quizzes for the next few weeks, just about different aspects of theology. Um, this is all on what uh, particular topic in theology? Christology. Uh, Soteriology. Soteriology. Thank you. Very good. Okay. Alright, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. I would go through this whole chapter. We're just going to kind of deal with the first verse here. Actually, we're going to uh, go back into the context and look at Genesis 14 here. But Genesis 15:1. After this time, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Uh, we see the context of this verse, certainly from Genesis 14. And as we look back at Genesis 14, we see that there are these um, several kings uh, beginning up uh, at, the, at the very beginning there. They go up in battle against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, they wind up defeating them and carrying them off in all of their possessions, which is really not of much interest to us except the fact that Abram's nephew was a part of that. Lot was there with them, and he and his family and all his possessions were carried off as well. Um, and so let's, let's kind of pick it up in chapter 14. Um, look with me, verses 13 through 16. So anyway, uh, Abram's uh, nephew, Lot, and all his possessions in verse 12 uh, were, were carried off as well since he was living in Sodom. And in verse 13, one who, is, who had escaped came and reported to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great uh, trees of Mamre. Um, uh, the uh, Amorite, uh, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, uh, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relatives had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men uh, born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Pursuing, uh, pursu uh, during the night, Abram divided the men to attack them, and he routed them, pursue, uh, pursuing them as far as Hobra, Hobah, uh, north of Damascus. 
He recovered all the goods and brought back his relatives' lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. This is an amazing thing. These guys had already been in battle. They knew how to do battle. And there was uh, five kings uh, he was coming up against. And they'd already done battle with the, with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and some of their allies and defeated them. And here goes Abram with 318 men out to get them and pursue them. And they've had a head start. So he's pursuing them. But they, uh, he wasn't too worried. I guess he knew God was going to take care of him, right? And so anyway, he goes out and pursues them. They defeat them. And they rescue, uh, rescue them. Uh, uh, so we pick it up in verse 17. After Abram returned from the defeat, uh, uh, Ked... Or Lomer <laughs> um, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shepha, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of, of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest, the Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, "Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth." And he blessed, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered. Uh, your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And an interesting passage here, one that as we read in the uh, book of Hebrews, we see is, is quite important. But we see it here, and it's just these few verses. This Melchizedek comes up, kind of an interesting character. Don't hear a whole lot about him. Uh, he's mentioned in the 110th Psalm, uh, where um, you know, that starts off the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make, an enemy, until I make your enemy's footstool for your feet. And then he goes on to say that he promises to make him a priest forever in the, in the order of Melchizedek. And you don't see him again until the book of Hebrews. And you read the importance of Melchizedek and as a um, uh, kind of a uh, foreshadowing of the one to come. Uh, a type of the one to come who would be Christ. And um, so he, he looks at Melchizedek and he, we put uh, Jesus's priesthood, especially since he wasn't the line of, Ju uh, uh, line of Levi, his line of Judah. No priest come from that line, but Jesus was a priest. So he says he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, anyway, um, so Abram's gone out and won this tremendous battle. It seems to be taking a lot of bravery to take his men and go out after all these kings. And he goes out and does it. And then we pick it up in verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and you keep the goods for yourself. All the bounty, Abram, you can have. And we'll, we'll give it to you. Um, that, it would seem to me that would probably be a pretty impressive offer. And think, well... You know, I, I really did stick my neck out for you. Maybe you owe this to me. Maybe I should give it uh, to you anyway. But uh, hear what, how Abram uh, responds. Verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread uh, or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. <laughs> wow, what a, what a thing here. Say, uh, you, can, you can be sure this guy would come back and say, see how wealthy this guy is? It's my fault. But he's saying, Abram's saying, nope, nope. Uh, it's going to be all the Lord's doing and making me rich. And I'm not going to have you taking any of that um, 
that credit in verse 24. I will accept nothing but uh, what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. Uh, to Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, uh, let them have their share. So here's, here's the context, you see. He's gone out to battle, and usually when the uh, victors of the battle, who, you know, to the victor belongs the spoils, right? And he didn't get the spoils. He didn't take the spoils. And it could have looked like a, a huge amount. And he's put forth all this effort, and it's almost like he's not getting anything from it. So that's where we pick it up in verse 15, where we, we see the, the Lord coming to uh, him in a vision. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Uh, God himself says, I want you to look at what you're getting. You're not getting all this bounty from uh, and the loot from Sodom and Gomorrah and, and all the other places. You won the battle. You could have rightfully had it. You're not going to get all of that, but you're going to get something much better. Uh, we might find it hard to believe that sometimes. We might look at the uh, things that the world has to offer and think, well, that'd be the greatest thing in the world. If God could let me live in that mansion that I'm looking at, you know, three, $3 million mansion um, that, that I'll never be able to afford if God can just give it to me. Or if God would just let me win the publisher's clearinghouse, we mistakes. Um, I know I'll be set for life then, and uh, I'll give the Lord credit, and I'll give the church the money, and, and we've all done that, haven't we? Uh, said, and we, we look at these things and think, that would be so great. Um, but God says, no, I want to give you something else. I want to give you something that uh, is actually... Um, Maybe you should look at what I'm giving you and think more better of that. And so what does he offer to him? He says, first of all, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. First thing he's giving him is he's giving him a shield. Now, what is he a shield for? You know what a shield is for? It's there defensive to keep uh, the enemy's, uh, you know, uh, arrows and swords and all that from being able to harm you. He uses his defensive thing is to prevent you from being harmed by others. And so um, I got this from James Boyce's book called, uh, called by God and he talks about what we're shielded from what. And uh, so I want you to see what God is a shield for Abram for and what he's a shield for us for as well. Um, he says in uh, First of all, he's a shield against enemies. In 2 Samuel 22, uh, David, David, who certainly had many enemies um, during his time, in verses 2 and 3, he's, he's uh, considering the enemies that he has around him. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God and my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior, from violent men, uh, you save me. Uh, and so there is a sense in which God is our shield against um, enemies, enemies that we might have, enemies um, that especially if we're going to be bold in speaking out for Christ in, in public places, we're going to have enemies. They're going to be, um, in, in this day and age in America, um, and maybe not so much in Texas, but I can guarantee you if you go to places like California or 
Illinois or uh, New York or someplace like that, and you start standing up for the Lord and start preaching the gospel, you're going to find that people aren't going to accept that well, and they will come up against you and try to do all all manner of things to get you uh, uh, ostracized by everyone around and maybe do whatever they can to maybe have you thrown in jail saying that you're, you're doing hate speech here, right? And uh, so, but, uh, but God is your shield against that. Uh, God is a shield from having them really do anything that can hurt you uh, too majorly. Um, our enemies still, we, we have seen, especially throughout the... Uh, history uh, enemies of God's people hurting them some uh, we have all kinds of stories of that in the history of the church but uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 um, is talking to his people and reminding us as he reminds them um, in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 it says do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Um, our enemies may come up and may do, do us physical harm somehow. God hasn't promised that we would escape that. Um, he has promised us instead that we would have suffering and trials and tribulations and hardships in this life. And a lot of that can be brought on by other people. But he's saying we don't really have to be afraid of them because that's kind of a temporal thing. And um, our, uh, you know, as, as we look to the future and the future that he has promised us, they, they can't do anything that will ultimately harm us. Uh, they can do stuff that maybe hurt us a little bit in this life, but it won't be an ultimate harm. They cannot destroy our soul. And uh, so Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, 10, 28. Secondly, he's, uh, so he's a shield not only against our enemies, he's a shield against the devil. He's a shield against Satan. Um, for the Christian, we, we probably shouldn't be saying, in reality, the devil made me do it. Uh, the devil is not able to do that to us. He cannot force us to do anything um, because... Um, even though he is a roaring lion, uh, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's out to, to try to devour us. But, um, and one of the ways he would try to devour us, I think, would be to try to make us uh, uh, reject God, do things we shouldn't do. Um, but James tells us, James chapter 4, James 4, 7, said, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, we're submitted to God in resisting the devil. Uh, he, he really can't do the harm to us. Uh, Christ has come and has defeated him on the cross. And um, there's only so much that he can do in putting temptations and that sort of thing uh, out there for us. In a sense, we're almost like uh, Job before the, you know, when Satan comes to... Uh, before the, the council in heaven and God says, consider my servant Job. And he says, yeah, you put a hedge around him. I can't, can't touch him. You let me touch him and he'll curse you and die. Well, he can't do that to us because God really does have a shield, is a shield for us against Satan. And there's only so much he can do. He cannot destroy us. And so uh, we need to remember that. He's a shield not only against uh, the enemies in this life, only so much they can do against Satan. He's a shield against 
a temptation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. probably know this one too if you know it by heart no temptation has seized you except what is uh, common to man and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it that's a, that's a pretty good thing to know isn't it when we feel like, oh, it's just so, you know, I got to do this. It's just, it's so hard not to. It's, uh, it's not like, you ever see the Far Side cartoon? Love this Far Side, one of my favorite Far Side cartoons. This lady is walking down the street, and she, uh, she's obviously wanting to be on a diet, okay? And she's, oh, she's walking past a, uh, a candy store, and she knows she shouldn't go in there. And there is one of these um, parking meters, you know, posts in the ground. She is, she has grabbed onto that parking meter. The door of the candy store is flung open, and she's just flat out like this. It's like it's sucking her into the candy store. She can't. You know, you know what? Our temptation's not like that. We might feel like it sometimes, but it's but it's really not. He says uh, here there the. That, that no temptation is too strong. I'm going to read to you um, Boyce's passage on this. Because he says two things in this passage particularly. is God is our shield against temptation. No temptation is too strong. And, and God always makes a way to escape. Uh, he says, um, uh, first, no temptation is ever going to come into your life that's too strong for you. God promises that you will only experience temptations that... Uh, you are able to overcome if you will rest upon him. Are you tempted by sex, by a chance to be dishonest and escape uh, detection, by a cutthroat way to achieve promotion, uh, by an occasion to gossip? He's gone to meddling there, right? <laughs> if you are, God knows that, and he knows that you can bear the temptation. You must say, Lord, I claim your promise that no temptation that will come to me is beyond my overcoming it. Help me overcome it through your strength and show me the way of deliverance and God will help you overcome it. The second thing Paul says about temptation is that God always makes a way to escape. Uh, we may be able to bear it, uh, that we may be able to bear it. Uh, the trouble with most of us is that we do not look for a way to escape. Instead we become, okay, Instead, we become fascinated by the temptation, and like a bird fascinated by the snake, the snake that's about to devour it, we fail to see God's deliverance. Do you do that? If so, you need to get out of the habit. <laughs> Learn to look for God's deliverance. Uh, then your life will go on from strength to strength, and you will realize that God is your shield against temptation also. Um, and finally... Um, we see here um, that he is our shield not only against enemies. Uh, there's only so much they could do to us. He's our shield against Satan. He's our shield against temptation. He's a shield, and this is one that we probably all need to hear. He's a shield against bitterness. Um, Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 1. 
I've already mentioned Philippians chapter 1 earlier, but this is in verse 12. <clears throat> um, Paul is, you know, he's writing from prison here to the Philippians, and he sees all what's going on, and he hears that uh, people are preaching the gospel, simply trying to hurt him and do all these things. Um, and he's in these chains, falsely accused. He didn't do what they said, and, and it just... We would look at it, I know, I would probably look at it and go, this is terrible. And uh, I think of some of the small things that have happened to me in my life, and sometimes it's hard to not be bitter about it. Um, listen to what Paul says. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me uh, has really served to advance the gospel. <laughs> All this stuff that he could be so bitter about, and he's saying, no, no, it's here to advance the gospel. See how God's going to use that, the trials, the, the, the hardships here, the times that people have, have left me and not uh, been there for me when I wanted them to. Demas has left me and gone back to the world, and uh, others have, uh, here, you know, here while I'm in prison trying to preach just to harm me and, and so on. Uh, but he's not bitter. This doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, the, what matters is that, is that the gospel goes on that the kingdom goes forward. And so um, God can be a shield not only against our enemies, against Satan, against uh, uh, temptation, but a shield against bitterness. And I, I think that we all uh, definitely need to understand that God should be our shield against bitterness as well. But he says uh, in, in Genesis 1.15, he says, Don't worry, Abraham. Uh, I am your shield. I'm going to defend you against these things, which he defends us against. But I'm also your reward, your very great reward, he says to him here. This is a good thing. Uh, so many people uh, want what they think God can give them. Jesse Duplantis, was it? $8 million jet? You know, he had to raise $8 million to get the jet that he really wanted. God should give that to him, right? Uh, God, if you can give me that. We ask for God to bless us all the time. God bless me with this. God bless me with that. And we think of all the things that we want God to bless us with. And maybe they're material things. And we think, God, if you would just give this to me, this would, this would satisfy me. When God says to us, yeah, I may give you some of that stuff, but what I really want to give you is me. God says, I want to give you myself. This is the this is the great uh, uh, blessing of the covenant throughout Scripture, isn't it? I will be your God, and you will be my people. Um, can you imagine, <clears throat> guys, when you got married and uh, you're standing there before the preacher and you're giving your wedding vows, and then you start ad living a little bit, and you say, uh, "Honey, if you will cook the good meals." And keep the house kind of straight. And don't bug me when I'm watching sports. And, uh, you know, so on and so on. Uh, Those things, I will really love you. And, you know, just don't bug me other than that. How, how wonderful is that going to make her feel? You've seen, or maybe you've heard about the, the guy who put the ad in the paper. A man, a single man looking for a woman who... Uh, uh, knows how to uh, clean fish and has a boat and all these things 
and boat and motor, and he gives qualifications for the boat and motor and everything. And at the end, he says, uh, uh, if you're interested, please send the picture of your boat to, and he gets the address. Uh, well, how's she going to feel? What's, what am I for? I'm just here to give you my boat. Or to, How does God feel when we say to him, if you really love me, you'll give me this? When he says, I give you myself. When we stand before the preacher and get married, we say, I'm giving you myself. That's the very best that I can give. I can't give you any more than giving you myself. And when we want the things that God can give but more than the thing, the thing that God most wants to give us as himself, that seems to me to be like a man saying to his wife, you can give me all these things, but I don't really want you just kind of leave it on the table and, and then go on. Is that what we're telling God when we ask him for these things? I, I should hope not. And uh, Abraham, um, God tells him, I will be your very great reward. You're getting me. You're not getting this, this uh, all the bounty from the material possessions that are out there. You're getting me. I can't give you any more. I can't give you anything better. I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will dwell with you and you will be with me. We see this throughout scripture, don't we? Interesting thing in the Great Commission. Jesus says, uh, you know, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And, and then he ends it with an interesting statement. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. In, in John 14, when he's talking about going away, he says, I'm going to go away. And I'm going to come back and receive to, my, to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I'm, I'm giving you myself here. It's the greatest thing in the world, greatest blessing. And we see it throughout Scripture. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will dwell with them, them with me. It's throughout Scripture all the way to the last, the very last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22. Listen to this. This is a closing out of, uh, of history, if you will. Entering into eternity with God. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any more night. They will not need the uh, light of, of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign uh, forever and ever. <laughs> Throughout the great promise, I will be your God. This is what you get greatest thing you can imagine and it ends with the promise that it will be complete forever together with him um, if, if we're if we're looking for uh, the reward in the bounty that we might get from uh, winning the battles or whatever we're, we're missing the blessing when God has promised us that he's the greatest thing that he could ever give us and that's what he, exactly what he wants to give us that's what he gave to Abraham that's what he promises to us that's all right, well, let me pray and maybe some of you can get home before the next storm arrives.